0: or roommate Today, I want to talk about the idea that in this day and age, we've come to this more evolved view of intimate relationships. So back over the last 100 years, millennia, you know, people would have their relationships and they would be for many reasons, survival reasons, economic reasons, social reasons. And we've come into this new era where now we look more at our intimate partnerships, which aren't so much born out of necessity, as a place where we can actually meet our soulmate, for lack of a better word, for someone who can help us to grow and self-actualize as a person. So we're not just there raising kids together and taking care of all of these things that a family unit makes more easy in our lives, but they are also there on a deeper level to spiritually enhance us, to help us to grow emotionally, to shed our blocks and our wounds and our demons and to heal them and to become the best versions of ourselves. And so this is really the corner stone of my work is using our intimate relationship to do this and in particular using our sexual connection to do this because people there's a there's a knot further when you really dive into and have your sexual energy alive and thriving and the crux of your very relationship, where your sexual connection fuels everything that you do. It's the glue in your intimate relationship. It's a very, very, very important part of your relationship. And there are people out there who might think that, oh, we can just survive as partners, but I'm gonna prove that wrong as we go along in this episode. So first off, I have a very fun quiz for you to take. Are you lovers or roommates? So I've got 10 questions here. I'm going to go through all of them. And if you think you want more time, I'm going to post this quiz on my blog and you can take it there. All right. So when your partner walks in the house after a day at work, A, you meet them at the door, lunge at them, grab them on the ass, have a wet kiss and a little makeout session, B. Without looking up from your favorite TV show or magazine or whatever else you are doing, you mumble, hi, honey. C. You quickly put away the porn you were jerking off to. So keep track of your answers A, B, C for each of these 10 questions. Question number two. How often do you have sex? Between three times a week to every day. B. Somewhere between every two weeks and every two years. C, we don't have sex. Why are you asking me that? God, there are so many more important things in a marriage besides sex. The whole world is perverted. Question number three. Do you consider yourselves to have an equal partnership? A, we've deliberately cultivated some inequality. We understand that masculine and feminine energies show up differently, and we use that polarity to create sexual chemistry. We play with power and control dynamics, especially in bed. B, he's better at some things and vice versa. C, we are both card carrying feminists who went to four year liberal art colleges and we share and do everything equally. Nothing non PC ever takes place in our home or relationship. Hashtag equality manbuns and pantsuits forever. Question number four When you do have sex, how is it initiated? A. I drop to my knees and open up his pants, looking up in adoration. Or I pin her arms above her head, slam her into the wall, and growl into her neck. B. We set a reminder to let us know when to. We've been trying to have a baby lately, so it has to be during that window. C. Um. Dot, dot, dot. Question number five. What happens after you have sex? A. We get up, energized, rejuvenated, connected, and ready to take on the day. We both feel loved and cherished. B. One or both of us pass out and go to sleep. C. I get angry at him for coming too quickly and punish him for the next two days. Question number six. How long does sex last? Liken it to a movie title. A. From here to eternity. B. 15 minutes. C. Gone in 60 seconds. Question 7. How would you describe communication between the two of you? A. We like to keep a clean slate, and are pretty good at expressing things as they come up. B. Some things are easier to talk about than others. We mostly live by the tenants: White lies are the best for all involved, and don't ask, don't tell. C. One of us usually storms off or shuts down. There are many areas that need resolution within our relationship. Question number eight. Women, describe your orgasms. A. Mind-blowing, life-changing, ejaculate-shooting, God-seeing, shaking, and thrashing works of art. My vagina is my oracle, and she speaks loudly. So loudly that our neighbors are well acquainted with her. B. I can get off by stimulating my clitoris during intercourse. No vaginal orgasms, though. C. Stop trying to shame me. It's not that important to have orgasms, okay? Question number nine, men, what food best describes your erections? A, the bone part of a T-bone steak. B, El dente pasta. Or C, jello. Question number 10, last question. Women, how do you like to seduce your partner? A, I put on new lingerie, bras, panties, garters, stockings, heels, the whole nine yards, and I surprise him at the front door and then perform a strip tease and a lap dance for him, not letting him touch me until he's going insane. B, by turning over and telling him how tired I am when he tries to initiate sex. C, I nag him and I wear baggy unwashed sweats and hope that he doesn't ever touch me. All right, so take a moment, take a look at all of your answers, and tell me what the dominant selection was for you. So if you had mostly A, then I would say that you are in the lovers category. You're weak in the knees, you can't keep your hands off each other, you're open-hearted, and your relationship fuels your life. If you had mostly B, you're on a slow road to perdition. And if it was mostly C, then you're in the roommate category. You'll be losing sexual and other organs due to mysterious ailments and lack of use. You're operating at a deficiency in your overall life because you are not tapping into the magnificent power of your passionate sexual love. So, even though I wrote this quiz with the intention that it be entertaining, the parts of it that seem hilarious or extreme actually aren't. These sorts of things go on in people's minds and their hearts and their beds all the time. Both the amazing descriptions like from here to eternity sex that goes on for hours and hours, men who can go for hours with their stamina and have multiple orgasms, women who can have these explosive, life-changing, self realizing orgasms and then the terrible sounding ones like gone in 60 seconds sex and people who are deliberately putting up barriers to prevent them from going deeper with each other. So here's the thing, after having a few failed relationships and getting their hearts and their genitals broken, people often make a choice. They choose safety over passion. They choose like over love. They choose the familiar over mystery. They choose no chance of getting hurt to serious chance of getting hurt because my heart is so fucking open and raw. And so they invest less. They show up less. They live and get accustomed to living with walls and barriers of untruth. And tacit agreement and this whole sort of don't ask, don't, don't tell type of lifestyle. And all of that diminishes the intensity of your connection. That's not where the magic is. So here's a story. A couple came to see me. A number of years back, and she was hysterical and underfucked. In fact, she was so underfucked that she was the inspiration for my 2012 Playboy article about hysterical and underfucked women. And <laughs> this is actually, it's in the DSM as a medical condition where women who aren't having enough sex start to demonstrate all of these symptoms of fukme or underfuckia, which is the Anami terminology for being seriously underfucked. And everything from depression. And irritability, um, anger, and then these extreme displays of um, mood changes. So in one conversation, when I first did my intake session with this woman over the phone, or when she first spoke to me about working together, she went from crying to laughing to then kind of to being really angry, like all in one call. And I was like, what is, and then the word came into my head, hysterical. And then I remembered that the root word, Latin word hysteria actually means uneasy womb. And so 2000 years ago, in the time of Galen and Hippocrates, they talked about the idea of a woman who was not being pleasured and stimulated enough. And it made her womb, uneasy and it went wandering all over her body and created these symptoms. And we still see this today. I talk about the tragedy of the underfucked woman. And I have an amazing video on YouTube, the sexual, no, the epidemic of sexually unfulfilled females. So check that out. It's a PSA announcement for people suffering from this condition. So that was the woman, and the guy was very effeminate, very sensitive, a very lovely guy overall, but no oomph, you know, and there was no passion between the two of them, and they actually hadn't had sex for about two years, and yet... They were wanting to make a baby, and so they had to face this very serious problem that they were going to have to have sex to do this. So this wasn't a part of their arrangement. They had basically fallen into each other as friends and carried on that way in their you know, connection together, but they didn't carry on working with me because all of this was just too confronting for them. And they didn't, because obviously to look at that stuff would mean that either they'd have to go their separate ways or do a lot of very deep, intense work together to clear this blockage All of these things that were preventing them from having that deeper level of connection as raw, open-hearted, fuck-me-right-now lovers rather than just roommates who work together so well as buddies and partners. So... Um, anyway, I guess they did have sex at least once because they did have this baby, and it was probably very difficult for them and a wild sacrifice, but they soldiered on and they did it. And she had a hell pregnancy, and she had a long and painful birth. And now several years later, she's still posting about how bad her postpartum depression is. And then they eventually broke up. Like six or seven years into it, they just broke up. So the way that I look at it, and this is through years of experience and obviously observation is that all of these symptoms are the outcry of their not having this true authentic powerful sexual love connection so her pregnancy ends up being symptomatic having all of these challenges she has a horrendous very difficult birth she's had incredible postpartum depression all of these things are indications that the internal connection between the two of them is amiss and i knew that because i had this inside information about it so, the the absolute truth of this is that if you aren't tapping into the power of your sexual energy, you are operating at a huge deficiency, and this starts to then spread out into every other aspect of your lives. And because people are so ignorant about the power, and they've been so suppressed about the truth of the power of sexual energy, they don't make the connection, right? It's very, very easy to deny that and not think there's any relationship between the state of your relationship and your overall life and all of the effects that it has on the outside, not just the fact that you two aren't very connected. And the points, the purpose of the relationship is to generate the energy to sustain and rejuvenate your lives. So literally the sexual, creative, procreative energy of your connection is there to revitalize and infuse every other part of your life with incredible amounts of power and juice. And especially when you have a baby, you need all of the energy, all of the connection that you can get so you can go to each other and refuel and use that space as your sanctuary, as your place to get topped up. And then you have the energy to deal with your child, to deal with the world, everything. But the converse happens if you are at odds with each other, or you're barricaded against each other, or you're living in this roommate sort of context, is then that saps so much energy because you need energy to keep these walls up, even if it's unconscious and you've just adapted to this way of being with each other over the years. So the safety has a price. These defenses that you put up prevent good, nourishing, energizing things from coming into you, into your lives as well. And then there are some couples who start out as lovers and then they fade into roommates. Why? Well, the same idea, they start to protect themselves, they stop telling the truth, they stop fighting for the integrity of their relationship and of their needs. They prioritize it less, walls get built against each other, and they're not living in this open, raw, yummy, vulnerable state, which is a very unfuckable state as well. When you're barricaded, like think about it, if you're angry at your partner, Well, you might be, you know, you might be drawn into some makeup sex or break, you know, at some point, but often the last thing you want to do is fuck them because you're just, you're not happy with them. You're upset with them. You're not feeling that deep level of connection. And maybe if you're not like wildly, um, separated, then you can find some thread of your sexual connection to draw you back in and somehow make that, um, a way that you resolve some of your issues. But if you've had years and years of build up, you can't, you know, then sex doesn't function the way it's meant to as a way to reconnect when there's been some kind of distance or separation. So the whole point is that your sexual relationship is your power source, and there is this intense and erotic vulnerability in wanting what the heart wants and letting yourself have it, when all that you desire is truly out in the open, so you lay yourself bare. And this is a delicious sort of risk, and I'd say it's the only game in town and in terms of relationships. And the universe rewards this in spades. And despite the lies that you've been told, there truly are couples out there who've been married for 30 years and after 30 years are having the best sex of their lives because they dared. They dared to go for the thing and the person and the cock and the pussy they most wanted that shook them and excited them to their very core. And then they learned how to stay there. So that's the biggie. And this is the work that I do, the getting there and the staying there. And most people don't know. Most people buy into the cultural vernacular that, oh, after two years, relationships are meant to tank. And that's just how it is. That's your biochemical reality. No, the biochemistry actually follows your lead. So by you putting less energy in the relationship, by being less invested in the relationship, by not really having your heart and your genitals at the table, then these things start to get, show it. They start to reflect in your hormones and your neurotransmitters. So. Look, people don't know what they don't know, and they've been told this story by whatever the dominant narrative out there that, you know, passion dies and it's not normal to have it as a lifelong way of being, but it is. You can get there and you can stay there with an open heart and surrendered genitals. So the moral of all this story is that non-passionate sex and a cold relationship do not feed you. They drain you because they are unnatural states, and then the drain sucks everything else out of not just your intimate life, but every other part of your life. So one of my absolute favorite quotes in the entire world is by Gabriel Garcia Marquez in one of my absolute favorite books in the world, 100 Years of Solitude. And that is, the anxiety of falling in love could only find repose in bed, meaning that that intense, raw, vulnerable feeling that you have when you're so naked because your desire for someone is so raw and deep and honest, it's only soothed, it's only balanced by you being able to thrash it out in bed and that's where you continually go to feel that level of safety and reassurance and connection that it's okay to live there. It's okay to live in that place. But the the balancing and the ballast only happens through getting into bed and working it out that way and connecting on such a deep, magical, invisible, energetic level that then you can go out into the world and you wear that energy like a protection, like a shield. You know, you start to Inhabit this place of being open hearted, but also knowing that the strength of that connection is a protection for you. And that's the absolute sweet spot. That's the beauty of what happens when you get to that place. So this is your medicine, this is the only balm there is for living in such vulnerability that in this aching state, you know, achingly raw place, you come together and you surrender over and over again. And this surrender is your perpetual mantra. This is truly the little death, the orgasmic death and rebirth, la petite mort. You give it all up, you throw it all into the fire, and you are reborn anew. And you die daily, you know, this is like so you can live more freely. Really, you die daily by giving everything up and truly surrendering, and you become reborn into better, more beautiful, real parts of yourselves.